This is Talking Ears. My name is Frank Wardinger, and this week we are interviewing a podcast. Well, actually, we're interviewing JD, who puts out the How I Got Tinnitus podcast. This is a show that he put together in order to partially help deal with his own experience with tinnitus or tinnitus, as we'll get into it later with the pronunciation, but also, as the title implies, to have a lot of these conversations with individuals to understand their personal perspective. And he also interviews a lot of experts in the field of tinnitus and audiology. In this episode, we're going to ask him about himself, JD the person, his history with music, his history with tinnitus, but also we're going to be talking about why he developed his show in the way that it is. And as you're going to hear in our conversation, it's a very different structure to his show. One that I'm a little enviable about because he approaches the subject with a levity that is refreshing for this conversation. In this episode, we'll be hearing music by JD and his Goat City Studios and some other projects that he's had throughout the years. I'm just trying to make the show that... I felt like I needed when I first got my tinnitus. It's just I'm doing exactly what I needed to hear. Completely. It would be easy to make educational TikToks telling people about hazardous sound yeah. levels and stuff like that. But especially with my lack of any formal training, I don't really want to be misspeaking on that. And I don't want to come from a place of admonishing people or or mm-hmm. telling them how they should live their lives. If anything, I just want to bring an understanding because I, yeah, there just seems to be a lot of information mm-hmm. out there that I think we can just do a better job to contain. At least that's my goal. No, totally. And I think, you know, and you arrived at this too. This is a conversation that has so much nuance and individuality to it. And when we often hear you know, these little like, like info blurbs or like one page pamphlet that like explains some aspect of it, it doesn't, it covers like 80%. It's like a crayon drawing of what really should be talked about. But these long form interviews, like you're able to sit down for an hour with somebody and really understand like what makes them tick and what keeps them up at night or helps them sleep at night. And that's what this subject needs is these long form full nuanced conversations right i think you're doing you're doing it it's great it's awesome that's that's so awesome thank you so much (laughs) it's it's really been so exciting to put myself out there it's it's vulnerable but it's also thrilling because like i I already use this foothold analogy i just feel like i'm finding my footing and i'm more and more excited to i really want to keep digging Your show is you speaking to mostly musicians, mostly music folks, sometimes audiologists, about their own personal experiences. What really made you want to start this show and what made you think, okay, my voice is helpful in what's out there currently? Or was it more of like a personal thing, like this is good for me, JD? Uh, it's a mix of both, really. Uh, it, it, it's super multifaceted. I, like I said earlier, a, a big reason I started the show was I wanted to create the show that I wanted to hear 
in my first days of dealing with tinnitus, mm-hmm. it shook me so hard. Like, I quit my job. I uh, am, I live pretty far from my core family, and they're, they're all in Texas, and I'm in the Northeast. And I just got in my car and drove to them because mm. I was so shaken. I drove for like three days to go see them. And I had a lot of time with my own thoughts. And uh, being a creative person and using music as one of my creative outlets for so many years, I just felt like that was stripped from me. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't really know what I was going to do with all this extra energy I had, and I had a ton of it. I had started the work of perhaps starting a podcast, but the thing that held me back from making one was I didn't just want to jump in the pool of dudes with some ideas talking about random stuff on a podcast. I wanted it to have a purpose. So I held off and I just kept thinking about it. Yeah, one day I just threw a brainstorming sesh, was thinking, wow, you know what? I can tie a lot of things to tinnitus. And it was dominating so many of the conversations I was having at the time. Yeah, It was actually my girlfriend, Annika, and she said, how about how I got tinnitus? And just her saying that yeah. as a working title, just my brain was like, oh my gosh, I, I'll never be able to stop talking mm-hmm. about this. I, I wrote down a list of ideas of episodes perhaps, and I haven't even put a dent in that list. Yeah. Really, I just wanted to put something out that would be helpful to, say, a younger version of myself. That's what's motivated a lot of my creative output in the past. You know, to sound corny, it's like, be the change you want to see in the world. (laughs) Chances are, if you are seeing something in your mind that's not out there in the world, it's your job to put it out there. Completely. Completely. And you have this unfair advantage, too, where... You have the personal experience of it. You have your background, which I want to get to a little bit more. So you have this like, like almost like a, I don't want to be again, cheesy, but like you have like this duty, you have this responsibility. I've got this thing that could help people. Why hold it? Why not share it? It's really cool. Right, right. Uh, Well, it took me, I don't know, I want to say at least six months before I had my first not bad day mm. after my ten- my tinnitus like seemed to pop up out of nowhere and it really blindsided me and it was about six months of bad days. And when I felt that first good day, I was like, holy crap. I remember that feeling. I, I, mm. I, it's been so long since I felt that. It's like we're going out into this uncharted territory, like this ocean, if you will. Sometimes the further out we are, the scarier and darker it might seem and murkier. And it's helpful when we have behind us like those buoys floating and lit mm-hmm. that remind us there's some we came from somewhere and we're going further because yeah. it, it, we can get really shaken up and, and lost in our path. Mm-hmm. When I started to see progress with... My tinnitus distress, I I said to myself, I've got to put up buoys behind me in this in this journey I'm going on to remind myself that I've put some distance between me and the thing that was bothering me. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go back to that thing, so I need to keep going forward. Yeah. yeah. 
these podcast episodes as rambly and sort of uncoordinated as they sometimes can be are are my way of putting you know some markers behind me to remind me to keep going forward There's a lot of like those forums and things online. It just occurred to me that a lot of those times, I wonder if that's what people are doing with with their sharing is is putting a date stamp on it, right? On this date, I felt this and I shared it publicly, so I feel more like it's real, like it's like it's not just in my head. You're not experiencing it in isolation. I love that analogy too, because you know that that horrifying, uh, panicky feeling of being lost at sea or or not seeing you know, not being able to see like the horizon. I often tell patients that, you know, when you're in those, those moments where it's not moments, but those periods where it's months and months of like, uh, you know, I haven't, I haven't felt good in months. Once you can have a minute even, or, or a second or an hour of, I felt good about it, or I felt okay or neutral about it. But I say like, put a flag in that. Like that's, that's meaningful. Even if the next week after that is horrible, that, one hour is the most meaningful time. And that one hour proved that your brain can conquer this. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was so pronounced. I there, I loved the movie, The Truman Show. Oh, God. My best. And my at best. the end of the movie, Truman is trying to escape the island and he's on this boat. Christoph, who controls the dome with which uh, Truman is imprisoned. Yeah. He creates this storm to trip him up. While he's super scared and he wants to give up, Truman holds on to the boat. I've been in some of those situations in the past, and I know many other people have. And what we go to as a society, we look to the ones who can weather that storm Mm -hmm. and come out on the other side, you know, with something to tell about it. Yeah. I'm just thinking about specific patients who that is essentially the, the analogy where that, that thing that they're holding onto may be very often family, very often friends or whatever their support system is, or just like that. I, I can get through this kind of quality. That's really, yeah. it's powerful. I find that stories, we all like stories, right? We remember stories. Our brains do better with things that are set up with a beginning, middle and end and that are, you know, have a person in the focus. I really like hearing musicians stories because we can all relate to you, to the background, you know, anybody who played a guitar, anybody who played drums or anybody who sang in a garage band or whatever can relate to that background and then can see that that individual who made it through to the other side there's not some like weird, specially unique, uh, isolating thing that is about that person that means that they got there. They're just like you. And since they can get through, you can get through. So that's one of the most powerful reasons why I think these stories are so helpful. These long form interviews that you're doing, um, hopefully what I'm trying to do on my show as well. It, it's this concept that like, boy, if I just heard somebody if I heard one of these when I was a kid, when I was having my troubles, how much quicker could I could I have gotten over that? Right, right. You know, and um, it, it, two things I want to say: 
I'm jealous of your show, perhaps for like the the flip of the reason you're jealous of my show. I wasn't fishing, but you go for it. The, the, I, I'll take you've it. Got the credentials to 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 speak the truth. You know, I I really admire that. That's why I'm going to school to to make sure that I'm not just like blowing blowing hot air around. <laughs> yeah, so many of those stories. I mean, the early days of my tinnitus. That's all I was looking up. I was like, I my phone just would wake me up in the morning and say, yes, William Shatner has tinnitus. Yes, Pete Townsend have tinnitus. Yep. I just Googled celebrity names all the time, right. all the time. And I'm, I just have this ever-growing roster. I mean, one day I was just sitting there and I was thinking about the Flaming Lips randomly. And I just went, mm-hmm. I bet Wayne Coyne has I tinnitus. And I just, uh, yeah, I just Googled it. And it, like, I... Just found this stream of information. I just kept coming back to that, yeah. you know. And what's interesting about that is very often, and this is the thing, you know, when I was a kid, I got tinnitus when I was 14, I think, 13, 14, somewhere around there, playing garage bands, loud stuff. The only thing that I knew about like, oh, somebody else had this and like they got over it was like, the classic story of like Pete Townsend. Pete Townsend. That, I mean, it comes up every time, but like. Every time. And I had only heard like a two minute, one minute conversation about it. And it wasn't good. It wasn't reassuring. Yeah. And it rewrote the rest of my life knowing or not knowing what the future road of this looked like. If these long form conversations that showed the nuance, showed the beginning, the middle and the continued end of these conversations, I feel like I would have had a different outcome or at least a a more streamlined outcome. Right, right. I loved music from an early age. My mom was super into Bruce Springsteen. Uh, so I just, I started I, early idolizing rock stars. I watched Pink Floyd's The Wall a lot as a kid. So there's some heavy rock and roll imagery just like burned into my brain. By the time I was a teenager and I was trying to figure out a way to differentiate myself from everyone else, um, I had found messing around with my older brother's guitar and making Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine type weird noises with it was the best use of my time. (laughs) And um, so I kind of found myself making sort of unconventional music, even though I was listening to pretty average stuff. Then one day I find the music of Justin Pearson and some other of his peers at the time in the sort of punk screamo scene from Mm. the early 2000s. That was about the era I stumbled on it. It was a different energy than what I was reading about in Guitar Player or when I talked to classmates at school who also liked the first Slipknot album. I found that we weren't talking about the same sort of energy that was going into Mm -hmm. what was being created. And so I got into like this sort of hardcore DIY punk scene. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the energy that I found myself putting into it was founded on this idea that like the sound was just coming from within us and we just needed to get it out there into the world 
really passionately and in whatever way we could, just mm-hmm. as long as it was good and it has passion, as this uh, Kurt Cobain quote I really yeah, love yeah. ends. Part of that passion, at least in my youth, was heavily dependent on volume. And I just got really into making loud music. And I got, I felt that you had to feel it in order for it to like move you. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of my ideas about that have changed over time. Yeah. I do tell one story in one episode of the show about how our one band I was in was so loud that we would shake things off the walls at the house where mm-hmm. we would rehearse. And yeah. it was my job as the singer in that band to uh, pull things off the walls before rehearsal. <laughs> I mean, I was lucky if I yeah. put some toilet paper in my ears for those performances. Yep. Even for rehearsal, I I was just screaming myself hoarse and like losing my voice for days at a time improper technique but just pure passion and through all of that time i felt invincible music was you know how there was that ad campaign somewhere in the early 2000s uh my anti-drug music was my anti-drug yeah Yeah. i mean except it was a drug like i got so high off of music music was already giving me this feeling of being invincible throw a picture of PBR on top of it or yeah. something. And, and at age 22, and I thought I could do anything while my band was playing. And so I just kept going down that road of being one of those performers. I always looked up to artists like Iggy Pop, or even though it might not be the most popular opinion these days, Marilyn Manson. Mm-hmm. Again, the punks that I have already mentioned, just people who threw themselves into their performances. Yeah. yeah. And eventually I I started, and this is probably the the biggest nail in in the coffin in which my old uh reasonable hearing is now encased. Uh, <laughs> I started a band up here in New England with my with my now girlfriend. We we met on New Year's. We played our first show like in March, and we already had like twelve songs. I used a Fender Twin Reverb, so oh, yeah. a lot of musicians know this amp as one of the most impossibly loud mm-hmm. amps. I never turned the thing. You know, there's that scene in Spinal Tap. This one goes to eleven. Those things don't this go past one, three. You're going to hurt yourself. I, yeah, yeah, I couldn't go past three. Yeah. I just, it, it was, I did never go past three. Man, I was addicted to the sound of whatever I had going on there. And we were Mm -hmm. tremendously loud. I could tell you story after story of totally reasonable club owners kicking us out of the venue because we were just dangerously loud, psychotically loud. I can remember a bunch of 
times where my ears were ringing after a show and I just kept telling myself the same thing that I had heard like once at a punk show. And it was some guy said, hey, you know, when your ears are ringing after the show, that's just your brain telling you that's the last time you're ever going to hear that note. So that note was usually this super high and I was like, well, why would I ever want to hear that again? As long as I don't just suddenly (laughs) go deaf, I'll just keep plugging away because you know, and I'm really curious in my studies to better understand that sort of drug-like effect yeah. that volume gives us. And oh, I feel yeah. like you've been like dancing with the <laughs> subject in your show. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just waves of euphoria would wash over me yep. when I would let I tune my guitars really low, and I'd play like this low B or sometimes a low A, mm-hmm. and just like. And feel it wash mm-hmm. over me, and consequences be damned. Yeah. But flash forward to now, twenty twenty two, and I flinch when I plug in my guitar once a month into a practice amp, and I pull out my dB meter, and maybe some fluke note says that at one on my fifty dollar practice amp, the the amp reached eighty three decibels, and I'm yeah. like, I can't do this, and I unplug it and walk away yeah and and i think that that boy there's a lot to unpack there but just to keep that thread going you know the love of loud is it's it's built in it's built into our bodies it's built into our brains it's built in uh to our very part about being a human i mean it goes back to and i'm sure you you know these things too but like evolutionarily our ears are here to keep us safe, right? Right. Ears are there to hear quiet sounds that could hurt us. You know, a saber-toothed tiger coming up behind you to eat you. And the reason why humans are here compared to Neanderthals and other pre-human species is because we have this ability to socialize. We have this ability to group together and do things in unison. And we beat out the Neanderthals. These are as far as people understand, true story, that we beat out the Neanderthals with smaller numbers because we tricked them into thinking we were larger armies by playing war drums. Oh, whoa. By banging rocks together and logs together and making them think, oh no, that's not 100 people. That's 10,000 people coming to get me and abandoning their you know, territory whoa. and us just taking over because we had the ability that they didn't have to create uniform loud sounds because we could unify our beats unify our rhythm like music and loudness is inherent in our ability to say what is powerful what is important what is strong we did these projects we called friday night power violence where we would invite people to my house (laughs) on a friday night I would really like kind of confuse people. I would be like, today we're a hardcore band from Baltimore and we really hate fire hydrants. And people would be like, what is that? And I'd be like, the tape's recording. And they'd be like, I haven't even tuned. And the drummer would just start playing. And (laughs) that makes me so happy. And then I would put it up on the internet like in hours, the Uh whole session. 
from everyone showing up to everyone leaving and it being on the internet four hours. That's incredible. Yeah, but I didn't, I, you, when you hear the audio quality, your audiologist ears will run. <laughs> it's horrible. There's a couple <laughs> gems. This is part of why some of my reasoning in the way that I have these conversations, why I don't necessarily correct someone when they're telling me about their understanding of loudness or what is a safe level of sound to subject their ears to is because I'm so hesitant to commit some of the same, I guess you could say, errors that were committed against me. You know, I was listening to... uh, this heavy metal band with my headphones in the grocery store in my early 20s. And some older guy stopped me and he goes, you're going to kill your ears. And I was like, and end up like, you know, like, why should I protect my ears? So I can end up as boring as you telling me what to do with myself in the organic produce section, old man. Yeah, I there's there was no other way around it. And I being so angry or part of this punk community, there was something, even when I saw bands that were good and kind of quiet on the quieter side, because maybe you've had this experience go and seeing bands throughout your years, but like sometimes there's a band that's just the right level of loud and you're like, I'm feeling this. And then there's a band that's good, but somehow their volume's low or the guitar mm-hmm. is kind of like, a reasonable quiet and mm-hmm. to me that was just so lame i yep. just didn't want to do that yep one band that i saw i don't know if you've ever heard of this band lightning bolt yeah <laughs> oh my gosh yeah well i i saw those guys that's where i first saw justin pearson and his band the locust at, at the oops tour in austin texas oh, cool. we drove six hours through the desert to go to the show and we're we're just these small town kids and we go to this hot venue mm-hmm. in the center of Austin and we go see this band Lightning Bolt and they're just a two piece and you know the floor to ceiling amps and I covered my ears the entire show I remember knowing that that was too loud mm-hmm. but when I the feeling I had from feeling that bass in my brain I was like I got to replicate this so I, I came mm-hmm. home every night after school. I was writing songs in the back of economics class with my best friend, and we'd just go home after school and write that song. And it was always at an ear-splitting volume. And yeah. You seem to be, I mean, from the conversations I've heard, you seem to be doing pretty darn well with your tinnitus. Um, you're still, you're, you're, re, uh, I don't want to put the wrong word in your mouth, but is cautious the right word? Or is it aware? Cautious is all hell, yeah. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the most cautious person I know, but. Okay. And that's never, yeah. that wasn't always the case. I was, I, you know, it's kind of a little confounding to me because I feel like I was always medium cautious, but I'm a, I'm a type who likes to live in extremes. So it could just be that the times where I threw caution to the wind and uh, 
ripped my earplugs out on stage, which is probably what I did the most. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that's probably what ended up doing the damage. I would very often start a show, you know, sensing if my guitar was tuned by the way that my socks were vibrating on my ankles. But then, you know, I, I mostly yelled our lyrics. I didn't really sing. And hearing yourself like garbled yelling with a 3M earplug uh -uh. stuffed in your ear, it's you're kind of like, this isn't the most ideal way for me to enjoy my own work. So why not, you know, hear it really nice and clear? And I would rip it open and it, it was... There's that uh, that Scorpion song where he screams at the outro and you hear this glass breaking. Mm -hmm. It was just like all that broken glass just pouring into my ear with, uh, with amazing clarity. Mm -hmm. And uh, I even remember one show, I had this way of headbanging where I, I wanted people to worry about me. And <laughs> I would like whip my head around and there was this one song we had with this like sort of riff heavy breakdown and i remember one time hearing what must have been my my ears just dying it was just this like it felt like lava but it felt so good and i after i finished the song and wasn't dizzy from spinning my head around anymore i grabbed the mic and i go Hey, if you guys wiggle your head around like I did, it sounds pretty badass. <laughs> of course, no one did that. No one did that. You know, <laughs> it really had me, man. It just, it just took over. Mm -hmm. And you know, even in the car, I would just f be feeling the bass line in a song, and I would just crank it to these impossible levels. Mm -hmm. I really had a a a strange view of what was safe or not. I mean, there was this one song from an artist that I really love. And for some ungodly reason, they included this damaging level of feedback, like high pitched squealing feedback. If you listen to the album straight through at that point, you have to turn it down on your yeah. stereo or else you're going to go, ouch, that hurts. Mm -hmm. Well, one day I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. Why would they make this perfectly good yeah. album that you have to turn down? So I should just leave it up when the painful feedback comes on. And it came on this one time. And then I said, well, you know, the guy they worked with to record this album really knows his stuff. So maybe I should be listening for something here. So I sat there in the car and my... Volume was probably already too high to begin with. And this piercing, high-pitched, extremely uncomfortable, Lou Reed, heavy metal music style, uncomfortable feedbacks playing. And I just keep turning it up. And yeah. I remember feeling this pulsing, throbbing in my ear. And I was very likely hurting myself. Mm -hmm. But I thought, oh, I must be able to do it because it exists. Right. I was ignorant in my youth and didn't realize that I needed to be a little more discerning. Well, I'm, so it's not just you, obviously. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I, was, I was part of a big club. Oh, big club. It's the same mentality because as a kid, you're handed these things or you're given these things or you're listening. Or go to the show. My parents bought me tickets to a show. 
I should be able to go to it, right? It can't be dangerous for me. Right, right. Why would a thing that people go to yeah. be dangerous? Right. You know, why why would everyone just by nature by the nature of being there be in a state of danger? You don't even think about it. Yeah. You don't. You mentioned earlier that uh, one thing that I don't do in my show is I don't really fall into the the doom and gloom of it. That's because I have talked to plenty of people out there who have tinnitus who are like, oh yeah, the ringing? Yeah, you have that too? Yeah, I've had that for like 13 years. You know, whatever. Like there people sweep it under the rug and they yeah. there was a cultural idea for many years that that was just a thing that happened to us. Yeah. And, you know, my parents weren't taking me aside and saying, hey, you know, there's this thing that happens to people's ears because we weren't really having a conversation about it. It was just so normalized. Mm-hmm. So just so I have the timeline straight, yours started 2021, like less less than two years ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would say that I I definitely experienced it time here and there from mm-hmm. 2012 on when my band got really, really loud. I went to see an ENT about it um, in 2018 after this one incident. I like to detail cars. I was cleaning out this car and I took a rubber floor mat and I smacked it on this Mm -hmm. um, like plastic pool table sort of thing. And it just made this smacking reverberation. And my friend was helping me out and he was like 20 feet away and he goes, yo, dude, are you okay? Like the something about the clap of that sound made him wonder about me. And I said, I think. I hurt myself. It felt like I hurt myself. I wasn't even sure. And I went inside and I was like, oh man, my ears are ringing. I was familiar with it after loud shows. So I went and saw an ENT and they said, yeah, you probably have tinnitus. Are you a musician? I said, yes. They said, you probably have exposed yourself to loud sound. You're just going to have to learn to get used to it. And there you go. Yeah. And somehow I like managed to sweep that under the rug. And like a month later, I recorded an album with my super loud band. Uh-huh. I think I wore some earplugs, but I wasn't really worried about it. Yeah. And um, I was aware of it. And I had a couple conversations between 2018 and 2021 about tinnitus. I told people, yeah, I have tinnitus, but I wasn't at all like bothered by it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what happened. I really don't know what happened. I'm still trying to explore it. But it was just one night in the middle of 2021, in the middle of the summer, I went to sleep. I woke up the next morning and I was like, hey, that ringing is like really loud. Like, what the heck is going on? And I thought it might go away after a day. I thought maybe I was real stressed. Maybe I had a migraine or something that I don't usually experience coming on. 
And I tend to worry about my health a lot. I, I care about it. And mm-hmm. so I paid attention and a couple of days went by and it wasn't going away. So I booked myself an emergency appointment with the same ENT's office. And um, they basically told me the same thing. You, you have tinnitus. It's probably not going to go away. You better get used to it. They also told me in that office visit that um, their tinnitus claims during times of COVID had gone up something like 200%. 100%, you know, they, yep, totally. Yeah, they said it was it, it was coming in. So at the mo- at that time I told myself, "Oh, I'm just part of this community of super stressed people who have been cooped up in their houses mm-hmm. for too long or something like that." Um, but that didn't make me any more comfortable about it. Yeah. And uh yeah, I I just kept hearing it, and then I did. I went down the whole descent into Google and YouTube videos. I mean, I'm There's still trying to process. There. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I watched this one video. It's a lady. She's got like some dogs chilling with her, and she's like, "Here's how I get rid of my tinnitus," and does the thing where she drums her fingers on the back sure. of her head. Yeah, and I'm like watching those videos while I'm hanging out with my friends who are like watching some movies and I'm behind the couch like, how do I make it go away? And I was just so consumed with it and worry about it that, you know, I was I was even scared during that time that my focus on it was making it worse because who is it? I think Rauschiker has said that they've noted that people who can't seem to slip their focus from tinnitus after like about three months, it's Mm -hmm. very unlikely that they'll rehabituate to like a no tinnitus kind of life. And that three month mark came and went and I was like still obsessed with it. So I was like, so I guess I'm just doomed. Yeah. um, Well, and and it, it goes back to that concept that the attention on it is in a in a lot of ways, the problem, right? Right. It's not so much the it, it's the attention on it. And, you know, if we can just, it's a, it's a mental game to say like, you know, there's an old way of saying about it, like, you know, be friends with it or think about it like with positive regard, which has always been tricky for me to think about like, well, how do you think about it on like positive regard? Even neutral is sometimes tough, right? Yeah. To think about it neutrally. Um, but it's that it's, uh, I had a patient just the other day who said it's like literally that. I don't know if you ever played this or you know what I'm referencing or the people listening know what I'm referencing, but there's an old thing that kids would play called the game. The game. Just, if you think yeah. about the game, you lost the game. You lost the game. And it's that. It's that. It's this like, this mental game of like, how do you not, how do you think about not thinking about something? One trick, and I don't know if this is something that you are consciously doing or if you've fallen into it, is to not avoid thinking about it, 
but instead to try to twist it consciously, effortfully, thoughtfully into a neutral or positive thing in your life, right? Right, yeah. I feel like you're doing that, and I don't want to be putting words in your mouth. Is that a conscious decision to be making this show where you have to talk about this thing that you just wish you didn't have to think about in order to turn into a positive? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um... A book that was really helpful to me was Glenn Schweitzer's uh, Rewiring Tinnitus, mm-hmm. um, which uh, while a lot of my reading of that book, I I thought, well, this is kind of, this is kind of duh information. But then I was like, no, there's a reason everyone's suggesting I go and check it out or whatever. And I, I don't want to ruin it for, for mm-hmm. Glenn's book sales or anything, but he, you know, the, the, one of the core principles he, he uh, approaches in that book is meditating on the tinnitus specifically. Yeah. And I had explored notions of meditation previously, but found myself in that chorus of people who make excuses for why t- uh, meditation wasn't for them or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was just... I had no reason not to try it. So um, it was pretty grueling. I would sit there in total silence and hear nothing but my tinnitus, and it would seem to intensify and kind of undulate with my Mm -hmm. focus, and it was kind of freaky and almost psychedelic in some Mm -hmm. ways. But there was something in the practice of showing up every day and saying, all right, just you and me. And like going into this room with just me and the ringing. And it just reminded me of like all practice. Uh, I was just telling a friend about this. Like when you practice guitar, you practice it so that one day you can grab it in a setting where the variables might all be different. There might be a person in the room that wasn't there before. There might be an air conditioner running. There might be a slight breeze. You know, you might be wearing a funny hat, but because you've played that guitar in another room without all of those variables, you can come there centered and focused enough to not be shaken by those other variables. And I found some of those principles to be true for me and my relationship with my tinnitus. So yeah, this show that I do is part of my practice of just coming, showing up every day. It's like a job. And I just like a lot of jobs, we can like sort of get bored with some of the monotonous aspects of those jobs and having tinnitus is monotonous Mm -hmm. and annoying at times. But it's kind of just putting that ringing in its place. It's just like a plant by the door. It's, yep. it's a, you know, it's a paperweight. It's whatever. And if I can mm. make the tinnitus less of my focus, it's not about how much it annoys me. It's now. It's at this point. It's what it's teaching me and the connections it's helping me make with other people on this planet. And mm. I've always really enjoyed. This is a big reason why I've been a creative person most of my life is I enjoy creating these things out of nothing and sharing them with people. Yeah. I was a cook for many years and and so much of my the joy I got from my work was making this thing out of nothing and being able to share it with people. Yeah. So well I th- I think that's brilliant and I think that what you're 
the the imagery because I think a lot in like images and, and analogies, but the imagery that I get with what you just said is is like passing through the barrier and then you can kind of look back at it from the other side. Um, like the barrier is when you're on the negative side, let's just use the word negative. Then it, when you're on the negative side, you're looking ahead towards how can I make this a nothing in my life, right? right. How can I turn it into a paperweight? I often use yeah. the analogy of an alligator in a room. It's a danger. It's a risk. It's a scary thing in a room. But if you imagine the tinnitus is an alligator that can hurt you, then it will never become not important. It's always important. It's dangerous. Right, right. right. But if you can get past that to the point where the alligator is just a paperweight or the alligator is just a, a neutral element, that's fine. And most people, once they walk past that barrier, they go, all right, see you later. I'm out of here. I'm going to go live my life. It's all good. What you've done is you've gone past that and you're looking back at it and you're saying, how can I help pull some other people past too? How can I, how can I shed some light on this? How can I make it? Cause what, I mean, look, I do this every day where I talk to patients about tinnitus and it's the only time that I hear my tinnitus. I've had tinnitus for 20 something years. I consider myself fully habituated at this point, obviously. As I'm talking about it, as we have a conversation about it, it's there with me the full time, right? Yeah. And I could choose to be annoyed by it, but instead, every time I think about it and I listen to it, I think it's given me this life where I can help people. I'm mm -hmm. so thankful for it. I'm honestly thankful for it. I, I, I want to like tuck it into bed every night. I'm like thankful that it's there with me because it's given me an opportunity to help people. And that's, you're doing the same thing. And I, I think that it's such Trying a powerful, to. powerful thing. Well, thanks, thanks, thanks. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to. It shakes me sometimes. I, I've been talking about this more recently in my little intros and outros on the show. How I've, I've been a little shook. Like, I mean, there's been no incident or anything, but I go to myself every time I go to press record or every time I go through the, the whole nervous steps of. Asking someone to be on the podcast, and mm -hmm. I'm like, "What's this all for?" Or if I commit some sort of error, like I talk too much when I have a very important guest on the show, I'm like, "Oh my god, what an idiot!" But I'm all—it's all part of me managing that self-talk in the first place, mm -hmm. and um, reminding myself that this is all really my earnest attempt to do the best job I can possibly do. And that's why I'm trying to express how seriously I'm taking it by going to school. Yeah. Like it's it's not just a bunch of hooey. Like I really give. Well, a say shit. more about that. What it, what's that plan? Tell me about what the next step is there. I've got a lot of question marks myself. I <laughs> dropped out of school in the early 2000s because I was working at a restaurant and being in a band, and I felt like a total badass. I did great in school, but I, I just really wasn't connecting with the work I was doing. Something about my years of experience on this planet has sort of given me pause to say, oh, now I can see how I could apply myself mm -hmm. in school. And I've been having this urge to return to academia, I guess you could say, because I, I like to dance with some pretty... Uh, 
in-depth topics from time to time. I've always like been very interested in medicine and health. Uh, I grew up around animals, so I was always like helping animals and administering mm-hmm. strange medications. And I don't know, I just had this familiar familiarity with that level of education and care. And, and, and so this tinnitus came along and I felt like I made a lap around the internet and I've pretty much scraped up almost everything I could pick up that there is lying around loosely unguarded on the internet about tinnitus. <laughs> and when it got to the point where I was like, should I pay for an annual membership so that I can access uh, scholarly articles through JSTOR or whatever? I was like, maybe I should just go to school so I can figure this out. And um, re-entering the school system after like a 20-year hiatus to uh, finish my college degree uh, I'm not even 100% sure what I'm going to be studying in my undergrad. I dropped out midway through like my sophomore year. So mm-hmm. I've got a little bit I've got to wrap up there. Yeah. If I have to become an audiologist in order to help people with tinnitus, that's what I'm going to do. If other things excite or interest me or I find myself called to, for instance, I'm really interested in like the psychology aspects mm-hmm. of tinnitus. If that's where I end up going, that's what I want to do. But um, I'm really putting my nose to the grindstone, and I'm going to not stop asking questions. That's so cool. And it's cool to hear that you have – I mean, for one, I love love hearing that you have a mission and a drive, but not necessarily a path and a plan. And I mean that in, like, the most most, uh, positive way because – I often find that people stumble by saying like, I want to be a blank when I finish school. Right, right. But like, do you know what that blank is? And do you know what it looks like when it's done? I like that approach so much. Well, I want to go back to school. So I find some way to help people with this. Yeah, yeah. So I, I very much value what you just said. Thanks, thanks. I'm I'm, I'm hoping it works out. I, I, I understand how life can take us aside like that. I I wanted to be a chef at some of the best restaurants ever, and I ended up opening my own spot in a super small town that was great and did a lot of really cool things for me. But at the same time, I kind of lost sight of my original mission. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm I'm hoping that I uh, don't get shaken so easily. I, I tell patients this constantly of as soon as we can get you back to trusting your music and trusting your guitar and trusting your sound and feeling confident and comfortable, the sooner you can start kicking those dangling bad feelings. Right, right. But, you know, you found like a shortcut to that or or not a shortcut, but a, a workaround, which is making a podcast. Getting back to that level of confidence with the... Mm-hmm our relationship to sound, that's another reason I want to educate myself because yeah. I, I find that my confidence can be shaken so easily. I yeah. walk around with my decibel reader, but sometimes I 
I was at the mall today and they had the arcade blasting DDR, Dance Dance Revolution music out of the front door. And I was like, that's something. And I put my earplugs in and I wandered into the arcade with my decimal reader app. I got one read of like 86 dB at Mm -hmm. at like head level where a speaker was on a especially loud machine. But I thought to myself, surely it's louder than that. It Uh sounds dangerous. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I'm not fully confident. I mentioned earlier um, plugging in my little crappy practice amp and it's on a low volume and I measure 83 decibel spike when I hit like a high note. And I'm like, that's it for me. I can't get any closer. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to hurt myself. So I, I do want to cozy up. I, I'm finally, after talking to Tina Campbell on my show, mm-hmm. uh, she assured me that using my 80 decibel vacuum for five minutes a day isn't going to hurt me without. Yeah, it's, it's tough to trust that you won't get cut with a knife. If you've been cut with a knife. Right. Yeah. There's a wisdom to being cautious. Right. And we know that. Like, we know that there's a wisdom to not eat the berry that made you sick before. Mm-hmm. Sound made you sick before. Sound was the poison berry that made you sick. And so you know that there's a wisdom to saying, uh uh-uh, uh, I'm just going to avoid that. But sound is lovely. <laughs> sound is wonderful. And fearing it is is harmful you know fearing it is is a is a constant strain but to be cautious is smart so there's a fine line there's a i think of it like a pendulum Mm -hmm. we swing in one direction when we're young and dumb and fun um and really enjoy the loud sound and then we swing back when we have these bad experiences and it's going to settle back in the middle somewhere right yeah but just like a pendulum, it's going to overshoot a little bit. So you're going right, to have moments yeah. where you do like, ah, oh, darn, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, I, I, this might be a little venturing into woo-woo. But during my, uh, <laughs> especially my younger uh, years uh, as a vegan cook, chef, mm-hmm. whatever I was, I studied macrobiotics. And macrobiotics has this whole yin-yang balance thing going on with the energies of foods, and it really helped me understand. So that pendulum swing analogy is something I use in a conversation once a week. You know, when I was younger, I really loved when the pendulum was swung way out to the Mm -hmm. extreme. Mm -hmm. And as I get older, I realize that keeping that pendulum more Mm -hmm. or less balanced, not still, but wavering in a more balanced manner is uh, much more desirable. That is to me, you know, yeah. but I, like I still swing. I still swing yeah. out there pretty hard. So, <laughs> yeah, and, and you should, and you should, right? And it's the kind of thing where I, I encourage people to have earplugs with them, but only wear them when it's necessary. Right, right. Well, how do I know when it's necessary? Well, if you have like a set number, okay, beyond this point, it's necessary below this point, I'm going to actively keep them in my pocket, even though I just, with my body, want to put them in. Right. Uh, It's hard. It's so hard because, and you'll know this if you you go into clinical audiology, we spend so much time yelling at people to to protect their ears. And then I spend so much time with my tinnitus and hyperacusis patients saying, hey man, (laughs) it's okay. It's okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. Go pick up that guitar. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I'm intrigued by this disconnect between the pronunciation of the darn word. Oh, yeah. Uh, tinnitus and tinnitus. I'm curious, and honestly, when I work with patients, I just, whatever you say, I don't care. That's fine. It's potatoes, potatoes, tomatoes, tomatoes to me. I don't care. I happen to say tinnitus. You happen to say tinnitus. Do you have any thoughts about that? Um, you know, based on the way that tinnitus sounds when I say it, it sounds like you have a lot of other stuff to do with your day and it rolls <laughs> off the tongue really quickly and you're just used to pronouncing more difficult words and you're just like, I got better stuff to do than to waste my time opening my mouth really loud, really wide to say tinnitus. That's so funny. But for me... Having the opportunity to talk about my tinnitus is about the most exciting part of every day. So I don't know. That's so interesting. Maybe by season three, I'll be tinnitus. I expect that one day it'll change. Well, I don't think that you should change. <laughs> and, and like I said, like I don't, I don't correct. Oh yeah, yeah. Or I don't. You see, I just said correct, and that's not even what I mean. But I don't, I don't suggest that people assimilate to the pronunciation that I'm using because I think I only ever heard tinnitus because I was, you know, 13 when I got mine and I went to an audiologist and said, what's this? And they said, oh, it's tinnitus. And I said, cool. And then I went to audiology grad school where people only said tinnitus. Yeah. And then it wasn't until I started working with patients where they were like, you're saying it wrong. I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> but I will say this one thing, and this isn't to put one or the other is I think the medical professionals shy away from tinnitus is because itis is what we use for infections or inflammations. Oh, so if you have a tendinitis, yeah. that's an inflammation uh -huh. of your tendon, or if you have an otitis, that's an ear infection. Tinnitus almost sounds like it's an inflammation of your tin, which doesn't exist. Oh, so. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, with the I versus the U there. Yeah, huh. so I, I, that's where I think the disconnect comes from, which exactly your reaction there. But I loved your, your first statement of, it just sounds like you guys don't care. <laughs> That's not what you said, but I'm paraphrasing. But yeah, this is, I mean, some pretty interesting uh, social studies sort of thing. But once you brought yeah. up the inflammation itis, which is typically yeah. spelled I-T-I-S yeah. versus the end of tinnitus, which is U-S, yeah. I, I don't know. Now I feel less inclined. I don't want to spoil something. <laughs> uh, I don't want to spoil something in your show because, and I hinted to this earlier, but there's an episode in your show, episode three, where you do something that I thought was podcast magic. The way that you put it together, you had this wonderful concept of like, I've had a week with my new podcast. Having a new podcast is like having a baby. It's all consuming. Yeah. So you had a week with that and you reflected back to your first week of having this new baby of tinnitus or tinnitus ringing in your ears and bothersome and dark doldrums. It was really. rough. It was rough. Yeah. Then you did this thing that made me jump out of my seat with glee. I don't want to ruin the joke, but essentially you, you took a phone call in the middle of the oh, conversation. Yeah. That's yeah. That's the most, that's the biggest moment of that. <laughs> was that planned? Was that like, how intentional was that tone change? How intentional was that? 
because it's a choice, right? To to allow it to be a little bit fun, right? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I I think it answers the same kind of question that you asked me earlier on about like why am I making the show? I am trying to talk to that person that needs me, mm-hmm. and I you know I don't want to pretend or assume that any stranger to the show wants or needs to hear what I have to say, but in the case that they're there, I, I want to be able to answer that call, you know, because there were people out there who did it for me. I left some pretty gushy comments on people's Instagram posts or YouTube videos, especially early on. I mean, Jack Rubinacci did this video about, how his tinnitus is like that jar of Marmite that he keeps in his mm. pantry and like it's always there and like every so often you think about it. I, I think that was me just trying to do the same sort of magic that these other people have done for me. There was like this ability to just take it lightly. Yeah. And that that really struck me. And I will tell you also that I fell for it both times. <laughs> Both times. I fell for that it. That second phone call took a little extra long. But <laughs> I mean, so I'm just encouraging that anybody who's listening to this goes and listens. First of all, just goes and listens to your show. First of all. Second off, find that moment in episode three. <laughs> and it is it's worth it's worth every every second. <laughs> it's so great. I'm so glad you know it's great. Um I think episode three has a special place in my heart because that was the one that I really just was feeling the most. A lot of why I do this show is with the idea that the conversations I'll have will be interesting enough that someone without tinnitus might actually pay attention to me. Mm -hmm. The idea is that I want to break this conversation outside of the realm of you got to protect your ears or take it from me, a clinical audiologist. Yeah. You've got to, it, it, it's, I want it to be a much bigger, broader conversation. I would hope that tinnitus becomes, or tinnitus becomes a, <laughs> a, a household term, I guess, if you will. I mean, it, it sounds a little, little extreme. I don't want people to be like, peeking through the blinds like, oh, the tinnitus is coming up our block, you know, lock the doors, you know. Yeah. But. but there's an awareness that's missing. If you asked, you know, what is tinnitus? What is tinnitus? People would be like, I don't know, it's ringing in your ears. Like they know what the word means, but there's this missing part of someone to just pull us aside and just like a seatbelt. Yeah. Look, you can wear this and not be not cool. Yeah. yeah. Like wearing a seatbelt isn't a, dumb thing to do wearing a helmet when you're riding a bike well i mean you know that makes you a little bit less cool but still it's a smart thing to do you know (laughs) and i'm not saying that earplugs is the answer to that it's not like earplugs equal seatbelt in this scenario it's awareness of risk equal seatbelt yeah then make your choice i would still go to those shows i would just be aware of the risk so so yeah i think it's the awareness of the choice is is yep. uh, a really great great way of putting it because yeah i don't want to be warning people this is going to hurt your ears i just want people to know and you know let me reportedly never wore earplugs a motorhead is, is on many lists as one of the loudest bands of all time mm-hmm. and um 
you know, it didn't seem like there was, having never met the man, like it, it didn't seem like anything was going to convince Lemmy all of a sudden to put down his bottle of Jack Daniels long enough to stuff earplugs in his ears. And if the end effect of that is like legions of, of bass guitarists and guitarists and musicians alike are all like inspired to make like this high powered, heavy hitting music inspired by Lemmy and Motorhead, go for it. You know, like there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. If some kid gets the idea that Lemmy is invincible and um, therefore I stand a chance by playing a Rickenbacker through a full Marshall stack to be also be invincible. And therefore I don't need to be wearing earplugs. That is not the best scenario for me. Right. And as a person, as a kid, especially who spent so much time pouring over the rock magazines, I accidentally got a subscription to Rolling Stone when I was like 15. Mm-hmm. Best year of my life. I just, <laughs> I loved, I poured over every square inch of that magazine because I loved music and music culture, pop especially rock music culture. I just heard about how loud bands were. The only time someone talked about hearing health, it was like, I'm very aware of the irony of my words. It just sounded so dorky. I completely agree. Yeah. It's a soundbite that's taken out or a little quote. And it's like, how do I reconcile that the person who is playing at Madison Square Garden and making loud sound is also telling me to wear earplugs if I don't understand the whole breadth of what they're saying. Right, right. I wish that there was a better way of explaining the caution that is that is required while at the same time saying what's truly in my heart, which is art should be art and musical expression should be as, insert your word here, as it wants to be. Right. As loud as it wants to be, as quiet as it wants to be, as... Uh, inaccessible as it wants to be, as noisy as it wants to be, as poppy as it wants to be, as dancey as it wants, whatever you want it to be, it should be as much of that as possible, right? And if if there's anybody who says like, well, you know, it is harmful, well, that's like kind of the point, right? It would be like if somebody came along and said, well, you know, ice cream hurts you, so let's limit ice cream sizes to one tablespoon per customer. You're missing the point of ice cream. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're you're a chef. You <laughs> And I love ice cream. I can eat an irresponsible quantity of ice cream. Yeah, and like you're not there as a chef to like give people some steamed veggies that they could have made at home. You're there to like give them something. Right. You know? Yeah. intrigued by your choice to say I got tinnitus less than two years ago it it really rocked my world I'm just coming out of it let's choose to talk about this (laughs) you know that that is such an intriguing thing and I think 
you know, what you're doing with the show, what, what you're doing with your, you're going back to school. I'm so impressed by it. I'm so, uh, supportive. Oh, that's good to know. <laughs> Man, this has been great. Thank you for making time for this. This has been the highlight of my day. Are you kidding me? This is so cool. If I could have told JD one year ago, hey, you're going to be talking to someone else who cares about tinnitus. Wow. So fun. This is what drives me. This is what incites me, like talking to people like you about like our ears and about sound. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I shared your enthusiasm and uh, (laughs) I'm super excited for this episode and so many more to come. Oh, thank you. Talking Ears is a production of Earmark Hearing Conservation. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode and hearing wellness in general. The theme music is by Scott Hallam. You can find more of his music at audiodowsing.com. Additional production and editing assistance is by Juan Vasquez and Mary Kim. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.